Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. Hello and welcome to another fantastic episode of Tasting Anarchy. Hopefully this one will get out. Yes. <laughs> Last yes, episode absolutely. was corrupted by a power outage. Yes, Dark Tom Woods. Yes, so. that's right. Yep. When you told me the power uh, went out, like I, I had this like... You know, it's it's late for me when we record, and by late I mean it's eight thirty. <laughs> so for me, it's late nowadays. So I was sitting there, I was just like, "Oh no, what if this is the start of like some psyops oh, attack yeah. or something like that?" Or you know, it's just some stupid like in my <laughs> head thing, and I was yeah. just like, "He doesn't live in California. He's not rolling blackouts, dude. Get over yeah. it." Well, they they keep telling us that we're supposed to, but yeah, this is the thing is Texas is the largest wind energy producer in the country. And so we do have issues with that sometimes where I don't mm-hmm. know what they call it, but it's like where there's a certain, there's certain times where there's just an extended period with no wind and, yeah. and they, and that's the, that's the problem with wind generally. And they turn on natural gas as the backup. Uh, and, occasionally there's some sort of disruption in that, but this wasn't the issue this time. This was a transformer blew down the street, which is funny yeah. is it was be, it's behind the houses across the street from me, but they didn't lose power. We lost power on our side of the street and up and all the way up Franklin, which is what, you know, the road that I live on all the way up Franklin about till about halfway to the other main road. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then everybody else had power. So it was just this one strip of, houses didn't have it for some it's reason like what how is this routed what the hell is this plan yeah i mean it's bizarre yeah. but you know what what's weird too so th- this is some personal news for i guess the audience is i'm also i think have foundation issues but i don't but it could be that the house uh because we had such a long dry period the house sank a little bit and then we had a lot of rain really quickly and it they they call it rebounding, Pumped I guess. The and, house, yeah, yeah. So it's it jumps and then that c- causes cracks, and that's what the guy on the phone said. This is something we're getting a lot of calls on, but since we did a repair on the house before, it could be that uh, that one of the pilings we put in is is bad. He says that happens sometimes. You just get a bad piling, but he says if we did the work and the and the piling is bad, all this is covered. If it's some other problem, it's not covered. <laughs> so. Uh, but they, so they had a guy come out and do the water test to make sure that there's no leaks. Cause that's the first step. And, mm-hmm. um, of course at first he was like, Oh, I failed. You got some sort of major leak. And I was like, no, you're filling it in the back of the house. And the front of the house is about nine inches lower than the back of the house. So all the water you're putting in, in the back is overflowing into the shower and toilets in the front of the house. <laughs> And sure enough, he comes in and there's, you know, this much water in the shower, the toilets overflowed, uh, like, and it was, it was pretty gross. It took, took us a while to clean it all up. But, uh, but he was like, oh, and I said, yeah, I, I, I probably should have mentioned it. I didn't think about it, but cause I wasn't sure exactly what he was doing. So yeah, the, the way I guess they do is they plug it so it doesn't go out to the sewer mm-hmm. and then they fill it up to, yeah. and then make sure that it holds for 20 minutes. Yeah. And that's it does, what they, yeah, that's what they do in a house inspection. Not like a, like when your house is being inspected by like the city or whatever. If you're building a house, it's like a pressure yeah. test is what it's called. Yeah. So like they will block that, and then they, especially if it's two story, they'll kind of over not overflow at the top, but like flow yeah. the pipes to see to make sure they hold. It's right. not a bad concept to do, but it's like one of those again, how much government's in your house where it's just yeah. like yeah, like. I want them to do that. I don't need you to check the fact right. that. Well, you know what's funny leak. though about it is, so he he's like, well, what are some other things about this house that about the plumbing that you know? And I was like, well, I don't really know much about it. But I said one thing that is interesting about it is that our house actually doesn't drain to the sewer in the street. It goes under the house behind us and drains to the street back there, which is at a higher elevation than <laughs> than our house. So it has to push the water uphill. And he's like, why? I said, I, it's the way it was built. I don't know. But uh, I, I said, I found that out because I assumed that the water just would go out to the street downhill. And that's not the case. Everybody on the other side of the streets goes into the street 
uphill. Nobody goes downhill for some reason. And it, maybe there's something about construction methods that I'm not aware of, but uh, for whatever reason, that's what it does. And then the other weird thing I said, uh, this is another thing that's kind of strange about this house is that the water main comes up to the house. And instead of going directly in the house, it goes the length of the side of the house, then loops around and comes back and then goes into the house. And he, and he's going, well, why, why I said, again, I don't know. My, my assumption is that there used to be something back there that they were trying to get water to and um, they took it yeah, out. I, th- I think before, I think your house had, and I think we used saw, to, yeah. I think you saw it. It had like an irrigation system. Yeah. It used to have sprinklers so, and my, my assumption is that's what used to be there. Yeah. That um, would be my, my assumption is like the guy who built the house had the sprinklers put in it at the same time. So they linked everything. Right. My, my kind of thought would be like, so you know how like pipes have to have like the U-bend to stop the sewer gas and stuff. Right. Maybe it has to push up to stop. Cause like if it was going extremely down. Yeah. Because like it is a pretty high pitch yeah. down. The thought might have been there would be like more gas that would off vent into the house. And if U bends and stuff weren't required at the oh, time, right. that might have been like a, a mechanism to stop that because you would naturally have like low pressure kind of seat sit in all of the not low pressure, but like the before the pressure was yeah. enough to go out would sit right there. But yeah, still, I guess like, that's, yeah, that's a that's a good thought. I'm, I'm not really sure, but the, the good news is that there was no leaks. Yeah. Uh, and, um, now the foundation people have got to come out and look and, um, but that's a, a, a long story of, of saying that like, there's just weird stuff about this neighborhood and this house that like, we just keep finding out like these bizarre things. Like one of the things we also found out about this foundation thing is you're supposed to water your foundation in Texas or mm-hmm. in this part of Texas. And I had never heard that before. And, um, and he, the guy on the phone, he goes, are you from California? And I said, yeah. And he goes, yeah, they don't do that out there. And I said, well, why? I said, is it because there's fewer slabs or what's the deal? And he goes, no, no, there's there's plenty of slab houses out in California, but your ground is already dry. So it's compacted when they build a house. And then if, if there's like a monsoon rain, it usually just runs off. It doesn't actually penetrate the soil. Whereas here, the soil is very spongy. And if there's a, a lot of rain, it will expand or it'll contract if it's dry. So like, there, it's interesting. I'm learning a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm going to become an expert at like home ownership here through the course yeah, of this house. You're going to know all the stuff that I should know. And then like, I'll buy a house that none of it applies to somehow. Yeah. <laughs> the one, I'm going to, the one I've thing that, like, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say the one thing that has become clear to me is when, when we moved to Texas is get a, uh, home warranty. Oh yes. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's a pain in the butt to get them to like honor it but it saves you a lot of money. <laughs> so, yeah. cause we've had, we've had people come out and fix the dishwasher and I, I'm going to complain about it again. Cause it's backed up again. They, the AC is still not working great. So I'm going to probably complain about that again. I'm, I'm really hoping that if I complain enough, they'll just replace it. <laughs> so, and same thing with the dishwasher. I'm hoping if I complain enough, they'll just replace it. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's it's the home warranty. I think was a good idea because I was kind of on the fence about renewing it because the mm-hmm. the the previous owners bought bought it for us for the first year. Yeah, and um, and I was kind of on the fence of renewing it, but then I was like, you know what? We we didn't really use it the first year very much. Uh, I think we used it once for the washing machine or the uh, dishwasher, and uh, I renewed it. But now with the, the AC stuff, it is. I think it saved us quite a bit of money because just yeah. the just it's replacing paid for itself. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Just replacing the blower on the AC is like a five hundred dollar repair, and uh, it costs seventy bucks for us to open the ticket. And then once the ticket's open, then whatever repair <clears throat> need to get done, get done. Yeah. But uh, yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's do let's do reviews because we we. I was gonna are, say no. Let's let's do your first article. Okay. Review. It's a quick one. And then your second article. Okay. This is a, the, the <laughs> first article is a quick one. This is uh. Uh, in memoriam, I guess would be to uh, Fred Franzia. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw that just this yeah. afternoon. Yeah, so he passed away. So the inventor of obviously Francia, uh, box wine, and two buck chuck, and um, a number of other things. I think he's kind of the one who popularized the super cheap wine from California. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, 
pretty influential in the in the wine industry as far as like the budget wine goes. Car's favorite is is Francia with uh, ice and some seltzer water or some mm-hmm. I guess Lacroix. Uh, yeah, but he's, he's been, but you know, the company that he, that he started, which is, uh, I think it's called, uh, is it Bronco wine? Yeah. I think it's Bronco wine. Company. Yeah. Bronco it's, wine. Yeah. yeah. Um, they, they also do have a whole bunch of like higher end vineyards and stuff like mm-hmm. that, that just, they come out and other things. And they also do a lot of white label wines, uh, which are maybe medium tier, but, um, yeah, just kind of a a sad thing, but he was pretty old. But uh, he was seventy six. I mean, he was yeah. your he was your Stallone. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but he's also massively fat. So uh, yeah, but yeah, you know, just kind of an interesting thing. I just thought it was something we'd mentioned because we have talked about the cheap wines quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, and and one of my kind of one of my thoughts for like a series to do at some point would be to go through the Bronco wine selection. Mm-hmm. And just try them all and like rate them from low to high based on like uh, whatever criteria we would come up with for. Well, I guess we'd just use the same wine criteria that we normally use, but just kind of rank rank them based off of like the price point, too. Because, you mm-hmm. know, like, like like you and I both think that the Aldi wine is OK. It's pretty good. Yeah. Especially for two bucks or three bucks or whatever it is. But uh, and Francia, the they're they've got their box wine is fine. Uh, I don't their I'm black not, labels is not bad. Yeah, that's pretty good, actually. Um, there's another one that they have that is not Franzia. I can't remember what it is, but it's it's another box wine that they produce that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not black box, yeah. but it's, uh, it's I don't know. It's one, but, of those, it's one of those things where clearly he was doing this to make a profit. Yeah. But it was also very clear that he did like wine and he wanted more people to drink wine wine right one so he could make money but like also to appreciate wine but he's like hey if you want to drink wine but you're poor like i have a product for you and then if you want to move up the tier i have a product for you you know that's kind of a like he's kind of like had something for everybody well that's one of the things i really liked about the article that i read uh regarding this was that they really did play up his entrepreneurial spirit and that when he entered this this wine sector or whatever of the super cheap wine, first of all, California wine was not super popular yet, and second of all, there was no cheap wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, I mean, there was like hobo wine and things like that, but like for the most part, this was quality wine that was very inexpensive, and there was just no mark that market didn't exist. He was just trying to get these cheaper non Napa grapes mostly out of California to kind of showcase, look, we can produce decent stuff and it's extremely affordable. So yeah. And consistent too. Yeah, exactly. Like extremely consistent and yeah. consistent from year to year, which is pretty amazing. So yeah. Uh, yeah. But I thought that was a, a that would be a nice mention, but it's a quick yeah, article exactly. and, uh, but it, and it struck me and I was like, Oh, you know what? We need to, we need to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, especially cause we have talked about it. It'd be a little different if like we only ever drank like hundred dollar bottle of wine. Yeah. I actually, I think that Franzi is fine. I, yeah. I like, um, there, there's a couple that I like. They, they also, like I said, I would have to go look up what they all are. Cause I don't remember, but the comp, the company has mm-hmm. regular tier wines as well yeah. that I've had and are fine. I think they have um, some high end ones too. I just they don't, do. I don't it's, know. Um, I don't remember what they all are. I might look them up while we're, while you're doing your beer yeah, review. Let's look them up. We'll, we'll do, let's look them up for next time. Okay. Yeah, we can do that. And maybe we can try to find like a mid tier, like maybe like get both get like a mid tier from them or something for next week. Yeah. That'd be, kind yeah, that'd be kind of fun in memoriam, but like also like if you didn't know sort of yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah. We'll, so, we'll do that. Let's, let's just try that. I'll see if there's something like at Kroger or total wine. That's easy for us to both get. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, so my, uh, I was talking to, well, briefly talking to, uh, the treason boys, um, about, a beer I got. So I got a farmhouse pumpkin. So it's uh, by Hardywood, which is the brewery in Richmond. Um, they're like my, I, I think they have the best like craft 
not craft, but seasonal beers of the Virginia beer companies. Like okay. in Virginia, like they do a blackberry that I really, really like. This farmhouse pumpkin is probably my go-to fall beer, but I can't have any more of it because <laughs> like it's 8% and I drank three of them yesterday. And like at two, I was like, okay, I feel good. I shouldn't have any more, but it was very early in the day still. So I had another one and I was just like, I also ate Domino's because it was the next door neighbor kid's birthday party. So like I had some pizza and I was just like, that tore me up for the rest of the day. But that was my own stupidity. Nothing to do yeah. with like the beer itself, really. So, but this is a uh, Wal- Walhulian style farmhouse ale brewed with pumpkin and spices. So their description is um, Hardywood Farmhouse Pumpkin is brewed with a classic Saison yeast. Virginia-grown sugar pumpkins from Grand Moss Pumpkins, Middle Lothian, Virginia, whole nutmeg, clove, and allspice from C.F. Sour, Richmond, Virginia, and fresh ginger root from Castle Monte Farms, Powhatan, Virginia. Our farmhouse ale presents a soft mouthfeel and balanced rustic fall flavors. And what, what is it is what what is in uh, Midlothian that we know? Or not Midlothian. What was what, um, Midlothian's here? Uh, I, I've already replaced it. There was some one of those yeah. names sounded really familiar that we know. Well, Midlothian is like we, you know, your former place of employment. My current, we had a bunch of clients in Midlothian, and I mean, oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking. It's yeah. not like a, it's not an unknown town, but okay. um, yeah. So very, very much pumpkin flavor, and not that like real pumpkin flavor so one of the things that most people don't get is like when people are like oh it's pumpkin spice yeah it's spices you use for pumpkin now this is a pumpkin ale that happens to have the pumpkin spices with it as well um and it's actually a pumpkin ale which is pretty pretty neat yeah so like um Wahulian, which is like the Wahoo or like whatever. It's basically like in Belgium, um, Saison, that's kind of where that yeast is coming from. So mm-hmm. it, to me, it was more, it was like more toward a quad, not like a quad in like the aggressiveness or a tripel, but like less Saison flavor and that um, 8% alcohol or eight point, excuse me, 8.5. Uh, 21 IBUs if you care about that. But, you know, yeah. it was one of those really solid beer. I had the first one room temperature, the next one cold, the next one room temperature, and the last one cold. And they all kind of express differently. But what's great about Hardywood is they tell you, like, on the glass, you know, pour slowly into a stem glass, savor at 40 degrees. They give you a lot of information about, like, how to serve it. They even have a picture like of like, I don't know if you can see it, but they, when they say, you know, serving a stem glass, they show you what glass they're talking about on the can. So it's kind of like, yeah. And they're, and they, um, all of their seasonals that I get generally have this kind of very nice white and a base color. So like this one is, um, like, like a wood color. And this one's got like wood grain here. But like the blackberry one has the same kind of like pencil, like our charcoal like sketch, but in the same color scheme. But there's it's in like blackberry color, hmm. like blackberry syrup color. So, you know, they they all kind of seem to have that. They have like the, their peach tripel. I, I think I reviewed that a while back. Again, was super awesome summer beer. Um, again, way too alcoholic. <laughs> way yeah. too much of it in one day um but yeah it's like hardywood is one of those breweries that like i'm off this week if i if like at, like my wife and daughter were out of town i'd probably go up to richmond for the evening and go to hardywood like and have a good you know just see what they've yeah. got because like it's just a very pleasant beer company that i've had and i think like they're they have like an ipa that's kind of like their standard beer but like mm-hmm. i don't know any of their standards it's all uh, the seasonal think, stuff that I do. If I'm not mistaken, they have a Pilsner that is yeah. that I've I tried. Think they have the Richmond Lager. It's a Hardywood. Oh, maybe I have had that one. Well, no, maybe, they, maybe may, they may do both. Oh, okay. It, 
that the, the company sounds familiar, but I for sure have not had the pumpkin one. Um, I don't typically buy <laughs> fall beers that are pumpkin related. Usually yeah. I'm, I'm trying to find a Marzen, which brings me to my honorable oh, mention. I'm not going to do a, a real quick. On they, it. Go ahead. they do have the pills and they also have the Richmond lager. Yeah. The Pilsner's that, that Hardywood Pilsner sounds like something I've had. What does it look like? Is it a green label? Yeah, it's green blue. I think, I think that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. I think I've had that, but I don't, I don't really recall. And it's been probably, you know, I've been in Texas for almost five years. So yeah. Uh, and they, they started in like 11. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, you know what? This does look really familiar. Yeah, so some of their seasonals, they have Raspberry Stout, Baltic Sunrise. I've, I've reviewed the Raspberry. I think I've done the Baltic on there. They have a Hopkeeper Double IPA, Peach Trippel, Blackberry, Pumpkin. They have the Gingerbread Stout. They have Christmas Pancakes, Gingerbread Porter, Christmas Morning, which I have some still from last year. That one wasn't super great, but then they have like a Bourbon Barrel series of like kind of all of those. Okay, interesting. And then uh, I think you and I have done their Cuvee Gold Barrel Aged Golden Ale. At one point, I think we had that together, but maybe not on the show. Like okay. they're just an interesting uh, brewery. So. Yeah, it, it sounds pretty good. There's yeah. a lot of really good breweries out there in Virginia. There are. I mean, Virginia's like Virginia's got some good wineries, but Virginia has some like really strong breweries that have stuck around a lot longer than I would have thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me give my honorable mention because I'm not going to do a, a long review. I, I've been mm-hmm. on a quest, as uh, you know, and probably the listeners don't know because our episode was destroyed, uh, to drink all of the Oktoberfests. And <laughs> uh, so one that I picked up that I had not had before, and so I was like, oh, you know what? I don't think I've had this one, is the uh, Yingling Oktoberfest. Because, you know, Yingling now has a brewery here in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the honorable mention will be that it, it it's a, I feel the exact same way about this as I do about Yingling. It's good. I would have it. It's cheap. But it's there's nothing super amazing about it. It's just it's I like it. I'm happy to have it. You know, at the at the bar that Car and I go to sometimes it's like three twenty five or something for a pint. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. so it's like super cheap. But uh also, like, it's not something I'd go out of my way for exactly, mm-hmm. but uh, I liked it. I th- and so I think it was worth an honorable mention. If, if anybody's interested in check it out, it's it's a Mars and beer. So um, that's kind you, of what I've been. Yeah. How mm-hmm. did you how did you serve it? I had the first one warm because they this is what's interesting about Kroger. They don't have any of the uh, their Oktoberfest beers in the freezer mm-hmm. section or in the refrigerated section. It's all stacked up in a big pile in front of the refrigerated section for some Sounds reason. Sounds like Kroger. Yeah. That's, it was just weird. So I, I think they have, I think one company's Oktoberfest is actually on the shelf and it's, and the only reason it's there, I'm pretty sure is because they have a, I've, you know, I've talked to the person in the beer aisle several times. They have like a representative who represents a certain number of, of local companies mm-hmm. and they come there and they, and they front, and make sure that those beers have what they want showing. Yeah. So I don't I'm know sure, what you call I'm that sure job. Sam, I'm sure Sam Adams's Oktoberfest is in the freezer section too. Yeah, probably it is, but I, I have not tried. I didn't look for that one yet. Yeah. Uh, you know who else also has a Oktoberfest that um, is not in the refrigerated section is surprisingly Shiner. It's in the stack and also Carbock which is a, another big brewery out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they make Hopadillo is like their, their signature beer, but uh, they also have a, a, a decent Marzen beer and it's also not in the refrigerated section. It's, 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 it. Oh, the other, the one that does actually have it in there. The other one is uh Alstad, which is down in uh, Fredericksburg. Um, mm-hmm. Very good brewery. If, if you want just German styles, it, was that the, that's all the one of you're their talking about going on to visit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we went down yeah. there, yeah, and they, and they have like German food at the restaurant, and oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's really nice. It's 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 a and it's a really cool brewery. It's like done up like a big castle, um, and and there's a tractor museum I told Rallo about right outside in front of in front of it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, nice. But they they make just all of their beers are are there's not there's nothing like fancy. It's all standard German beers. Mm-hmm. 
and just straight up, this is a German beer. And they are all extremely high quality, just good German style beers. And have um, you done their Oktoberfest yet? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it's and it's and I have the same thing to say about it. It's a high quality Marzen. Um, it's it's just it's just like all of their other products. It is a great representation of German beer to me. So nice. Uh, and it's made by Germans. Fredericksburg is a German town. So mm-hmm. um, that that family came came here a couple generations ago from Germany. Yeah. So uh, nice. it's just cool. It's a it's a cool place. Yeah. So you had one cold. Or one warm yeah. and one then... warm because I wanted to, I got it. I went specifically to the grocery store because I wanted some beers on Thursday and mm-hmm. uh, and it was it was room temperature, I guess. So whatever the room temperature of Kroger is, which is colder than I like it. But um, I had it at that temperature and then I had and so this is my I, I've actually noticed this with Yingling, um, just a regular lager is that warm their lager has some sort of like sticky aftertaste that i don't care for um interesting yeah i drink like it, a, i drink it warm all the time so. okay there's there's some sort of additional flavor to it that is that i've noticed is only when i'm drinking it warm or room temperature when mm. it's cold it's i think it's a very refreshing delicious lager that is or very just very good lager like it uh yeah but uh this this warm had that same thing. It's like, it's like a, it's some sort of flavor that is, that's present when it's warm. That's like sticky me, is the only way I can think of it, of describing it. It almost sounds like the carameling flavor. Like it's like, Could it's be. Car- like, um, to me, um, standard yingling has like a caramel flavor when it's warmer. Yeah. Um, so like maybe that might be it. something, and, and something maybe that I, that. yeah, might be. Yeah. I just don't, I don't like that flavor for some reason, but the, then I had it, uh, cold out of the freezer. Cause I put one in the freezer for, you know, I, I you know, I, these days I don't get sloshed and drink a six pack every single night. So, uh, yeah. I just, I put one in, in the freezer and then pulled it out, uh, before we went to bed and we were watching, we're watching uh, once upon a time, you know, that show, uh, I think it came out in the early two thousands or mid two thousands. I don't know. I'm not sure when it came out, but mm-hmm. we've been watching that lately. So I got one more out to when we were watching that and it was, it was ice cold and it was, I thought, very good. Um, now, like I said, I probably won't just buy this again, uh, mm-hmm. just because there's a lot of other ones for me to try, and this one was good. If I really, really wanted a great Marzen beer, I'd probably get Alstad or uh, I actually I think I think the Carbach one is really good as well. Uh, okay. And then there was um, there's one other that I thought was good, but I don't remember who made it. But I, I, I probably I probably wrote it down. But um, yeah, so good mention it's available on their website it says that it's available from august october every year so nice yeah so it's uh it's available if anybody wants to try it i'm looking at allstadt's uh offerings and i really like their label art yeah it's very german really good label (laughs) art yeah oh man they they only have like and i know you did just literally go over that they are a um german beer like company uh, they make one non-German beer, by the way. Oh, do they? Oh, what yeah, is it? Yeah, it's a light. Oh, a light. Okay. Is yeah. it a light? Just a light lager? Yeah, Alstad light. Um, oh, no, maybe it is a, maybe there is like a German licked beer. Um, was the, like they had a category that they won at some point. Um, oh, interesting. But yeah, they, they have a, a light beer, a lager, a Kolsch, an amber, a Hefeweizen, and an Oktoberfest. And like, that's it. And like, that's very kind of like impressive to stay just that. <laughs> yeah. They, they make a Kolsch. I know that's pretty good too, that I like. Yeah. Uh, their Hefeweizen is very banana-y, um, which I, th- I like that. I think it was, I think it was a very, a very good one. Very lager, classic German. Yeah. Yeah. Their lager is very good. Just a very good standard lager. Their, uh, their Hefeweizen, like I said, is very banana-y. And I'm looking at their stuff on here. Their Kolsch is good. I, I like Kolsch. Um, it's one of those that's kind of a uh, like it's you got to be in the mood for it. Like it's for it's it's like a heavier light beer. So it's like heavier than yeah, I sometimes I know what you mean. want. Yeah. yeah, for a light beer. And then um, their Amber Lagers is pretty good. Uh, I've not had this light one. This is interesting. Yeah, it's the this is the whole reason I brought it up was that. Yeah. So, 
like I was, you know, cause we're obviously since we're planning to move to Texas, I was like, okay, well maybe the Alstead brewery will become our version of the beer garden. And they've got the pretzel, which we get, yeah. but, uh, they don't have fried mushrooms. Oh, they, okay. um, you know, it's basically, it's very German inspired food, but like, they don't have like pick a sausage and a side, which is like thing that the, the, um, beer garden in uh, Portsmouth has where like you pick multiple different sausages if you want it, you know, yeah. it's not complainative. It's just like, Oh man, I, I, bet, I bet you there might be a, like a real authentic German restaurant in Fredericksburg. Oh yeah. I'm sure. Um, like, I'm sure like, I'm sure there's plenty of authentic or more authentic ones in Dallas. Cause Dallas is just so it's true. huge. It's, and it's I'm sure big, Fort big Worth city. has got something, but you know, it's just one of those like, and they have good beer. Oh, yeah. this would be nice. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Uh, so I've got another article. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go through this one pretty quickly too, Sure, but it has one thing in particular that I want to uh, talk about. And it's the article is uh, called, uh, or the title is 10 emerging wine regions across America. Mm. And one of the regions, and I'm going to do it out of order because I think this is, uh, this is uh, right up your alley is I'll give you a guess. You go camping there. That's the hint. (laughs) This <laughs> is the Eastern Shore. That's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, so the Virginia Peninsula uh, is uh, wait, you're wait. saying the, the Virginia Peninsula or the Virginia Eastern Shore. Uh, it just says Peninsula, so maybe I'm well, maybe the, I have the Peninsula confused. is like Hampton and stuff. Because like says James Shore City, doesn't... James City, York, New Kent, Charles City. Yeah, that's is that Hampton? Well, it's west of Hampton. How is that a peninsula? It is because it's between the two rivers. I got, I got to see this. But yeah. <laughs> I whatever I, I you know what I I lived there for a long time and anytime anybody ever said the peninsula, I thought it was the eastern shore they were talking about. Because <laughs> yeah, the Virginia eastern shore got... is a peninsula. Yeah, oh, I guess it is. Yes. Yeah, I guess it is a peninsula. Well, so like there, you know, so like where Tappahannock is. Yeah. So there's like three peninsulas in Virginia. So like there's the one with Hampton in Williamsburg. There's the peninsula that's that's right above it's the I believe that's generally called the Upper Peninsula. But then like there's a peninsula above it. Okay. Huh. So well, that's weird. That's okay. Funny. Well, so this ruins my surprise. But apparently, <laughs> the Virginia Peninsula is a is an upcoming place, and it's not the Eastern Shore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um so there's uh so it says they, I'll I'll read this part just because this is this is one that's interesting for us and I'll just kind of read off the other regions that we should keep sure. an eye on. Um so it says while there are some two dozen grape varieties grown in Virginia, many of the more classic grapes in the Virginia peninsula include Chardonnay, Riesling, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, and Petit Verdot. A few unique varieties are also off offered including Viognier, uh, Petit Mansang. Uh, I think we've had Petit Mansang. Uh, we've had mm-hmm. Viognier or Viognier. I'm not, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but that's one that, uh, they do actually out here in Texas pretty well. Um, Albarino, which is also one they do out here in Texas really well. Mavedre, which I'm surprised that they have that there. And also Tanat, which I'm also surprised they have out there, but, uh, cause it's a, it's a very different climate. Tanat mm. and Mavedre, I kind of associate with like a drier region and yeah. it's very, very humid in that part of Virginia. So well, they, it's they interesting. Probably, they probably have either good cross breeze on the yeah. vineyard or they probably clip the clusters so they don't it could be. bunch yeah. as much, right. which would lower fruit production probably. Um, That's true. But, but they have a lot of, one of the things that, we've discussed before that Virginia uh, they, it really apparently a lot of the issue was the lack of refrigeration. Um, Mm. So it was that it was the humidity didn't really affect it on the vine so much as once you were trying to process it, it's sitting off the vine ended up being the problem. And now that they have refrigeration, it's a little bit easier for them to to do that. But it's also there's, you know, it gets moldy and mildewy from the humidity. If Mm -hmm. it's, if they're, if they're very tight clustered type scrapes. Yeah. Um, 
I'll read, I'll read off the other ones. But this actually, this sure. one's pretty interesting too, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's uh, Ulu Palakua, Hawaii. So probably how it's pronounced. Yeah, <laughs> Hawaiian uh, is very much like that to me. Yep, I and it's a, it's interesting. Um, they did make some interesting points. I would have not also put Hawaii as a wine growing region, but they did point out that uh, volcanic, it's volcanic soil. And volcanic mm-hmm. soil does produce pretty unique uh, grapes, and also there is there is some altitude in Hawaii. So well, there's a lot you, of diurnal temperature and stuff yeah, too. Exactly. So if you get up high yeah. enough, you get that diurnal shift. So it's interesting. Um, I, I'd be curious to try something from Hawaii. I, it's just interesting. Yeah. Uh, then they also have um, actually we've had we've had a wine from here, or at least I have it from uh, Verde Valley in Arizona. Yeah, I've uh, not had any. Okay, I've not known knowingly had Arizona wine. Yeah, so I no, actually, I think that Ricky got his from New Mexico, not Arizona. But I yeah, think when we drove through Arizona, Victoria and I had uh, had something from Verde Valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the the Lower Long Tom, Oregon. I don't know where that is, and that's that's my neck of the woods. Uh, my <laughs> yeah, growing is. up grounds. I have no idea where that is. But uh, it says that it's between Corvallis and Eugene. So, and I know where both Corvallis and Eugene are. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up a pull up a map of it quickly. Yeah. Uh, and DuckDuckGo is just sucking nuts on it. So, <laughs> well, what they mentioned here, and I, I like Oregon wine a lot, um, is it, it's basically it's popular for what Oregon is popular for, which is Pinot Noir. So, mm-hmm. and Chardonnay. So, uh, so that, that seems to be what they're going to be growing, but it also says that they are doing, uh, Riesling and Pinot Gris and Sauvignon Blanc there, which are also all whites that I like. So, um, I'd be curious to try those as well. Not, not to interrupt, but to interrupt, uh, yeah. like when I Googled it or like duck, duck, go to the, and I put map, the first thing that came up was actually lower long Tom AVA completing the map. Oh, interesting. <laughs> like, Okay. Completing the map.org. I don't, or dot com. I don't know what the hell that is, but they're just like, oh, yeah. AVA. Neat. Then uh, we've got San Luis Obispo in California. Not what I would have. I yeah. would not have pictured that either. I, I have very, I wouldn't say negative opinions of San Luis Obispo, but like just not what I would think of as a wine place. Yeah. And again, not negative, but like not overwhelmingly yeah. positive right yeah. yeah is that is san luis obispo where they do the artichoke festival i don't know on that okay i can't remember what they do there uh then the other one was uh in also in california west sonoma coast uh so i guess they this is it's sonoma but i guess this was just a part that is slightly different and is up and coming then another place in oregon which is uh mount Pisgah in Polk County, Oregon. Um, I don't know where this is. This is north of the Willamette Valley, it says. And then another another California, Paulsell Valley, California. And then Rocky Reach, Washington. And then Upper Lake Valley, California. So these are all regions. I kind of, we kind of expanded on the ones that I'm most interested in, but, uh, they're all regions I think we'll, we'll kind of keep an eye on the ones in California, yeah. you know, with is, is well, what we talked about last episode, the last episode is like, just everything is on fire. And like my sisters were actually just texting our family chat about there's a fire right up right near where Jody Beth is now. And so, uh, I, it's just, they can't, and actually Jesse, they they lost power and she says they, that it's been very windy so they turned off the power because pg&e can't keep the lines clear and they're worried about the tr- branches falling on it and starting a fire so so you got to go so you live in a first world country but you don't get power <laughs> so yeah and like and this is one of those things that like like we never lost power when i was a kid like it, it's definitely something that's changed like something well, like, like Calif- something is wrong with California. Yeah, well, like you remember, like um, Great Davis was like 
yeah. particularly blamed for the rolling blackouts, right. which were like was well, that was the Enron thing, wasn't it? I question, you know, just like, can you trust your doctor yeah. if they were, you know, pushing the COVID narrative? I everything I thought about it, you know, going back, it's like the people who were saying that, like, this was, it was basically leftist kind of saying it was like Enron to like, you know, boo big company. Right. Oh, as a way to get Arnold Schwarzenegger in as governor, like yada, yada, yada. Like our whether Arnold was their choice or not, who knows? But like, that was kind of one of those ones where like, that's what I've always understood. It was like mainly Enron selling the power away. And I think the statistics bear that out. Yeah. But I don't know for sure. But I mean, it's like also, you know, and the, the thing that drives me bananas, it's like, oh, Diablo Canyon needs how many billions of dollars to stay operational? Yeah. And it's like, the thing cost billions of dollars. How yeah. can it need billions of dollars to stay operational? It's right. not that old. Like the Surrey and like Lake Anna plants in Virginia don't get billions of dollars to stay in operation. Right. And like, like not that California isn't important, but yeah. to the health of the state, it's like they all live in fucking DC. They're all getting like Virginia needs to be powered. Like there's, you know, like San Diego's, sister base norfolk and all of the other military installations in hampton roads it's like and but like diablo canyon it's like makes up 13 yeah. percent of california's power you know well, power yeah. production or some insane amount and the, the thing is too there were nine. there were several nuclear plants in california that were closed early because of protests mm -hmm. and stuff one of them was rancho seco I, I don't I don't know what it would cost for it to become operational again, or if they could just use that site. Because the, the, part of the issue, I guess, with nuclear is that the site's still there because they store waste on site. So if the site could be reused as another nuclear facility, and if it's a newer generation, it could reprocess some of that fuel that is there. And um, that's that's always kind of been my thing is that it's like there's. It, it might take too long and, and that's part of the issue. And then also just who wants to do business in California? Like it's, yeah, like it's, like it's that's, just a nightmare. That's the thing that like, to me, it, it, it's like, you have to do business with the state in California to do business. So yep. then it's like, but do you blame if somebody's like, look, I love California. I want to live in California. Like I love the land. So I want to open a nuclear power plant because I want the people of California to succeed. But for that to happen, I have to get this like 20 year contract where basically the government can't F with me. So then I have to lobby at the 15 year mark to keep my contract. You know, it's kind of that yeah. like damned if you do damned if you don't, but like both you and I are, it's like, yeah, you would live, move back to Northern California. I would, I, I would move I would to San Diego. Yeah. My wife would force us to have a house in Northern California too. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's how it would be like if we had our druthers, but instead we're like in Texas or, you know, I'm in Virginia and hopefully Texas soon. And you're in yeah. Texas, at least for the time being in theory, if we don't all go international or something. But, right. And, and I'll, and yeah. I'll, I say as much, I do love California and I, and every single time I go back, I think I've told you this is I like, I feel like, even when I'm in San Diego, which I never lived there, like I feel like it's the play. It's like, oh, this is where I should be, kind of. Uh, yeah. But then also, I look around and I see homeless everywhere, and like all these, and just, and then read about all the problems that California has, and like the people that live there tell, you know, my cousins and my sisters and, and stuff are like, well, you know, it's not that bad. And it's like, yeah, it is that bad. You just got used to it. But, um, but that all being said, I do love living in Texas too. I think, I think this is, I, especially this area, I think is really nice. If I think if we were down in, in, uh, I like Glen Rose a lot. So if we were down mm -hmm. in like the Glen Rose area, I think I'd, I'd like it a little bit more cause it's a little bit more of a dynamic hilly landscape. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's, I really, I really like living here. There's a lot of great opportunities. People are real nice. Um, you know, the cities do have homeless people and stuff, but it's not like, I, I'm not going back to my hometown that I have a particular image in my mind of, and it's a completely changed 
and it's all McMansion garbage. Like none of it's like the, the, my one of my pet peeves that I talk to you all about all the time is like there's no good architecture. Like it's it's all <laughs> it's all it. I, you know, I sent you that picture of that Jason's Deli, and I was like, this is my problem with like architecture is that Jason's Deli. There's probably an identical one to it in El Dorado Hills, California. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they just they have the exact same thing, and they just every, it's everywhere. It's it's it frustrates me a lot. I understand why they do it. And this is, you know, goes back to our stuff about, you know, the Federal Reserve and the way that the, the money is manipulated and stuff like that. But it's just, there's like no, there's no soul to, like I said, I guess that's a, not really an accurate way of describing it, but it doesn't feel like it's, it feels fake and forced and cheap. And, and yeah, like, and, and that's the, it's so funny to me because, like, for those who don't know, like basically my wife is a female version of you, just yeah. <laughs> significantly shorter. And so like that's her kind of constant refrain, not with the in-depthness and the like kind of the studiedness of it. And to me, it never mattered and it yeah. doesn't really matter because for me, like I just don't care because yeah. I didn't think – like I always hated going into like the classic McDonald's yeah, and it was just not taken care of. And, yeah, yeah. you know, you growing up in El Dorado Hills where it's like the, the Smith family owns the McDonald's and right. there may be a Taco Bell, there may be a yeah. Wendy's. Like I grew up in a city that, you know, when I think I was born, there's 250,000 people. And yeah. now there's 500,000 people. And, People are from everywhere. It's not like right. it's like my family is not specific. Like I was born there. My mom lived her entire life there, but two years. My dad's lived more of his life in Virginia than he has anywhere else. But like I'm from Virginia. So to me, but like where I'm from in Virginia is not like the middle of nowhere where it's like the Piggly Wiggly and you know yeah. that stuff. It's like. <laughs> Yeah, there's seven McDonald's now, you know, yeah. so like, I'm not like, to me that like classic architecture didn't mean anything because sure. It was so developed in a, these are the five home styles in the neighborhood. Yeah. And like, you know, it's like driving around my parents' neighborhood. It's like, you got the L shape, you got the L shape that somebody added an extra garage to, you've got the ranch and then you've got the two story and like, right. there's just different combinations on depending on what you picked from the catalog in the neighborhood. Right. right. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> then that's there are the mansions in the back that are all different, which is yeah. always funny to me because they're all completely different. Right. Well, that, that's kind of like this neighborhood is uh, every yeah. one of the houses is different, but um, I mean, that's kind of one of the things is like, it's not so much that like, I don't, it's not that I desire a, per, I, I do have my preference when it comes to architecture and stuff, but like, it's not that, it just doesn't feel like they try anymore. Like that, that's what it, I want to live in a beautiful place where like things. So there's like, you know, they do, this is, there's this really good book that I, uh, I'm about halfway through about how Disney has been designed mm-hmm. and, um, and like all of the research and eye tracking and all that sort of stuff that they do to go into it. And even back before they had a lot of the eye tracking, uh, ab- ability, they would just have people watch what people are doing. And the whole thing is designed based off of how towns used to be how towns used to develop and there's a lot of stuff that that developed where now that they have eye tracking software where they just know that if you develop things in a particular way your eyes follow stuff in a certain way but if you have like brutalist architecture for example when they do the eye tracking people look at the ground when they walk by brutalist architecture they don't their their eye doesn't follow the the lines of the building to look inside the windows and, and things like that uh, so that, like they do like a lot of that sort of study where like the the they've actually gotten very very good at it with like the McMansion style kind of stuff where they they do they can make things seem very nice or very inexpensive but the problem to me is that they all are the same and so you could get lost in a neighborhood if and if there were no street signs you wouldn't know where you were because everything looks identical. So like 
there's so you'd, you'd be like is it is that my house i don't i don't know because it's the exact same house to every single other one here yeah and see to me i blame hoas for that for like developing well, this par- like partially rigidity I, that the neighborhood yeah. has to maintain so yeah we, we call those whenever we drive by them here in, in dfw we always call them pcs fills do you know what pcs is pcs means holy fuck or holy shit because like they're just it it looks like Stepford Wives kind of like it, it just, I, I hate, I, I really dislike the way that they look like it's just to, it's the whole thing is unpleasant to me. It, it feels odd. Like it feels eerie, like a, like a weird sci-fi movie where things like are too, you know, like the, the, the movies when they like, uh, when you like look down the street in the movie and everybody's mowing the lawn at the exact same time and going up and down, yeah, and up it's and down. designed it, to be like, uncanny yeah. valley it's like yeah it is it's just, like it's like just to be off-putting right it's something about it's wrong the houses are too big for the plots or they're too long for the plot uh it's actually like those ones over by uh flex gym you know where they built where they had a plot mm-hmm. and with a normal size house on it and then they bulldozed that house and they put up two like two tall long skinny houses yeah like shotgun houses that yeah. are three stories and you're like yeah why right and it's like it's they're just unpleasant, but clearly somebody likes them because there's a market for them. However, I think the market for these things is driven by cheap money, and I think that's why people don't put in the effort to make something that lasts and is beautiful. They don't have a pride in in what they're de- developing, is because, well, it's kind of throwaway because the money's not going to. You got to you got to build it quickly and and get the money now and spend it, or else it won't be worth as much. Well, like I don't think it's the developer per se. I think it's the consumer because the idea that so everyone like, so I I blame kind of Bill Clinton, like from this like landscape of everyone, Oh, everybody should be able to afford a house. No, that's, that's not the case. Like homeownership is like artificially pushed up in the United States. And that was done in part to, in like my opinion, to destroy multi-generational living to remove people from like a family dynamic. Now, some ways that's good, some ways that's bad. And the United States is large enough that to me, and the opportunity is so great to be able to move that. Like I I question how much people would stay when it's like, but I could go live somewhere else. Because like, that's the thing that's always driven me nuts. And, And I think this is, you know, in part, like kind of like, you know, the cancer of the state, it's like all those little towns that should just die. Yeah. Because whatever they did isn't done there anymore. But like, you still get people who are like, well, uh, maybe the mail will come back. And you're like, it's so not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's one thing to, uh, th- we'll close on this just cause we're running yeah. on to an hour now, but, um, that, uh, D Matarn- D Martino booth, Lady, she used to work at the Fed here in Dallas. Um, Danielle DiMartino Booth. I, I watch her on YouTube sometimes. She's she's got a pretty good analysis. But um, so one of the things that she pointed out, and we've talked about this, I think, before too, is that back when a lot of these social programs were first introduced by FDR, people were embarrassed to go on public mm-hmm. assistance, and yeah. and I think that is actually good for the system if you're going to have any sort of public assistance. Is that Back then, people were like, no, I don't want to take public assistance. I want to work. And so they would make all these make work projects, which has their own problems. But like the, but there's this mentality back then that like, no, I shouldn't be just taking money. I shouldn't be on the dole. I should actually be out there making a lit, like doing stuff. But, and but that's, there, to I me, think that's gone. Yeah. But to me, they did the make work program to get people to be okay with being on the dole the second time when those be, programs yeah. were sh- destroyed. Yeah. So like to me that's because like I forget who was like uh did you listen to Malice this week? Uh it's the historian so. who wrote the book about oh, yeah. the yeah. 36 election. Yeah. He was talking about that specifically, was yeah. people, you know, wanted to be on the make work program, but like that's part of the problem is like, oh, these places yeah. have like all these highways and bridges and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, that's fine. Like it's nice that they have the bridge to allow certain levels of commerce, but like, did those places need, or would they have developed that way? Like, did we, no. 
artificially destroy these places right. by creating these things. But I think that's part of the point was to like, they knew those programs weren't going to last, but they knew they could get the dole to continue. Yeah. So and then they did. The, and, you know, yeah. They, they succeeded. To people that. To agree to be on the dole. It's yeah. like, Oh, well, you got to work. Well, now you can't work. So then they also had people on in the war. Oh, right. you can work now. Cause there's, you know, we've got to prepare for the war. So to me, it's all designed like, no, yeah. like, it's like, yeah, there should be the stigma, but you shouldn't get to work. Like, yeah, yeah if you can work, go find a job. Right. Like, well, and this you is, know, you know, her other point that she made, and this is kind of the multi-generational thing is she, she, I was watching an interview with her and she said, what we're, what we're starting to see is the Italianification of the country. And the guy goes, haha, what's that? And she's like, she says, well, basically we're seeing this huge uptick of, retired people with millennials that are like our age who have no kids moving into their redoing their basements, moving the retired couple down to the basement and giving the house to their kid so that their kid will have grandkids. And so they, he said, and she says that I, that because of her prediction for the future, and it's kind of in alignment with a lot of our predictions too, is she says like economically things are going to be so rough that that's just going to be an economic necessity is that like you won't be able to buy a house i they broke this down too that like if one year ago if you got a house that was five hundred thousand dollars your mortgage would be about two thousand five hundred dollars a month if, if you qualified for the the low mortgage rate now to maintain a two thousand five hundred dollar mortgage you would only be able to get a three hundred fifty thousand dollar house so housing prices either have to come down to match that or people are going to have to get used to having less and uh and a lot of this is i don't know what the correct desire is like our house is i'm very happy that we have the house that that's this size but also like i think we kind of came to the realization over time that we really didn't need a house this big and it's actually a lot of work to have a house this big when you don't use it so uh but you know, at this point, it, where, where I'm, I'm happy with the house. I like it, and, it, and it's a unique house. It's interesting, and it has it meets a lot of the criteria that I like. But that kind of the idea, though, is if if we are trying to get you know mortgages hit six point three percent this last week, uh, mortgage rates, and so like this this and when we got our house, it was under three. So yeah. so like there's been more than a doubling of interest rates, which just makes everything's so much less affordable for people who are looking to buy a house. But kind of back to your point though, is that maybe you shouldn't have a house or maybe you should live with your parents and split that cost. Uh, like we have, we have, a, although she's not really helping us with any costs, but she does cook food for us and, and does, you know, the dishes and laundry and stuff like that. So that's helpful. Um, and so we do have that, but I think that's, she, Demartina Booth was saying that basically she thinks this is kind of what's going to be happening is because millennials are failing to have children. Uh, their parents who are boomers mostly want them to have kids. They want to have grandkids. So they're like, you know, what's preventing you? And, and the, the standard millennial response is I can't afford it. I can't afford to have kids. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, yeah, the, they got to figure they, out a way to make but it. They have a new iPhone. They yes, have a new exactly, computer. Yeah. They, Right. Or wearing Yeezy sneakers and like, or they're thirty five and they still play with Legos, which I don't blame them. I I like Legos, but like, yeah. you know, I there's like, it it's that I, I guess we won't get into it or whatever. It's that whole like adulting thing that it bothers me when somebody's like, oh, I had to go to the grocery store today. Adulting, it's like you're you're thirty five, like yeah. you, you are I go an to the grocery store every week. Multiple yeah, times because, right. like, I forget something, Jack. Yes, yeah. I, yeah. uh, I gotta renew my insurance. Adulting is like you are yeah, an adult, have, you've been an adult uh, for, for 16 15 years, years. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, there's, there's another thing that could happen though. Um, and it's what happened with car loans is they're just going to make the loan period longer so they won't actually have to come yeah. down they'll just make the loan period longer and it basically would be sold with the idea that you won't stay in the house for 45 years I, that makes sense yeah because you could and if, it, yeah if you extended it out then and the banks would probably still be happy because they'd be getting a ton of money 
Well, I mean, they're just selling um, them the Franny and Freddy because that's all true. They have, yeah. All they care about is the origination cost. That's so. true. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. All right. Well, either way. Um, all right. Something's going to break soon. I think it's going to be Biden's underpants because they can't <laughs> hold so much yeah. poop. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> all right, man. I'll talk to you in the morning. And uh, right. everybody, stay free. And uh, yeah. Stay free. Back. And we'll try to do some more Childerberg news at some point when I have some. Yes, sir. Alrighty. All right. Good night. Good night.